0: grab a seat. Welcome to Awaken. Uh, My name is Andrew, for those of you who don't know me. And I grew up um, uh, in a church, uh, and today's Memorial Day, by the way, a day where we're remembering uh, the fallen who've died for this country. Um, Even in in my family, I've had six generations in the military in my family. Um, But I grew up in a church where Memorial Day uh, you walked in the sanctuary and is plastered with flags, and the message um, was about a lot of things, but you left a little confused, wondering if we were worshiping Jesus or if we were worshiping America. And this isn't an indictment on Memorial Day in any way, but I think it does bring us to our series that we're currently in. We're currently in week two of a series, What the Bible Doesn't Say. What the Bible doesn't say. And we can confuse people with our words and sayings. Just like we could confuse people if they walked into a church and all they saw were American flags. They'd wonder what we really stood for. If we stood for King Jesus or if we stood for America. And we confuse people all the time with with words, sayings that aren't in the Bible. Last week we looked at one of those. Pastor Frank shared about God helps those who help themselves. And the whole idea is that if we can just, you know, clean ourselves off a little bit, dust ourselves off, work hard, that God's really going to help us because he sees all the work we're putting in. That's not the case. We're going to look at another saying today, uh, a saying, God works in mysterious ways. I'm guilty of saying it. I said it a lot of times. Sometimes I don't really know why I say it. It's like, oh, yeah, God works in mysterious ways. Or, you know, you know, the Lord, he's, he's mysterious. He works mysteriously. I, I don't know why. I, I'm I'd hazard to guess that many of you have probably used the saying as well. Um, and so we're not up here shaming anybody for using the saying. All we're saying is that's not in the Bible. This whole idea of God works in mysterious ways, there's a kernel of truth to it. But as we unpack what that saying means, we're going to look at this morning that God actually, all the ways that he's worked in, he's shown them to us. He's revealed them to us. So I found that um, people use this saying in two ways. One leaves you really kind of confused about what they're trying to say. And the other leaves you with this empty platitude, this empty hope. And so let me explain that. The first way that people use it is when dealing with luck. And maybe something happened that was fortunate to you. You caught a lucky break. It's like, well, God worked in mysterious ways for you right there. And you're like, yeah, don't know what that means, but okay, I'm a little confused. Maybe it was a, it was instead of a lucky break maybe it was some bad luck maybe greg got the promotion instead of you greg but it's like oh the lord works in mysterious ways there'll be another promotion coming around we'll see what happens then maybe it's just murphy's law just unfortunate Event after unfortunate event happens to you, and you are wondering what is going on. Well, God works in mysterious ways. We'll figure out what it all means eventually. So that's one way, right? And you kind of leave, you hear that, and you even say that, and you walk away, you're just like confused. Like, what is God doing? I don't know. So you're confused by this. The second way that people use this saying is when there's actually something that's not related to luck. Maybe it's related to loss. When something bad has happened. And people say it, well, God works in mysterious ways because they're trying to give you something to cling on to, some kind of hope, but at the end of the day, it's empty. It's like a platitude. It's like Sheldon Cooper saying, "They're there. You just, thanks, Sheldon. People use it when you're going through an incredible hardship, Maybe there's a death of a loved one that's happened. Maybe there's some relational brokenness that you have in your marriage or with your children. And and someone just says, well, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And you're left with just a hollow there, 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 there. So we're going to unpack what that saying is about my hope is that as we do that, it'll give you hope for how God really does work. Um, just a reminder, this is a Q&A teaching. So if you have questions and answers at any time, feel free to just uh, text them, email them uh, to q and at gmail.com. And we're going to take a few minutes at the end of the service to tackle that. So let's dive in to this saying, God works in mysterious ways. Um, so let's look at the word mystery Because that seems to be what this whole saying revolves around. So the word mystery is used 27 times in Scripture. Um, In classical Greek, how the Greeks used it, is it was meant to convey a hidden thing, a secret, something cryptic. So kind of like how we use it today, maybe. Uh, But the favorite use of the word mystery was in the prominent place of the Greek oracle. On one hand, and Greek mystery religions on the other hand. And this is important because in the ancient world, the oracle was the one place where you went to find answers. Maybe it was a bad harvest, some bad luck. Maybe you were losing a war, incredible hardship. And you would go to the oracle to find answers. The mystery of why the gods were punishing you or why you were so unlucky, you would go to the oracle. And typically, you would sacrifice some animal. You would pay a large sum of money so the oracle would get the answer right. And then you'd hear the answer. And so there's a a great story of how this oracle works. So I'll set it up for you guys, and you can kind of see what I mean by this. So it's a great story. Um, I know all of you guys um, love history. If you want to do some of your own reading, Herodotus, he tells this great story of a wealthy king, King Croesus of Sardis. Super wealthy king, and he wanted to go to war because he wanted to get wealthier, but he didn't want to go to war without the assurance of victory, and so he consults the oracle. And the oracle tells him, again, he he pays the money, he sacrifices, and the oracle tells him, if you go to war against Persia, King Cyrus, a great kingdom will be defeated. And King Croesus is like, yes, I'm going to win. So he goes to war with Persia. Years later, the Persian army is besieging his city, and he said, what do you mean? I went to the oracle. I figured out this mystery. A great kingdom would fall. And the oracle responded, the kingdom was yours. So this is kind of, if you can see what this, the ancient world meant by like mystery and oracle. Something hidden, but something you couldn't control. Something that you were at the mercy of. The other one, the other uses in, uh, in uh, these mystery cults and religions where the Greeks, you'd have to be initiated, basically you have to convert, and then you were given like level one of the mystery. And then, you know, if you advance a little bit and you were a good acolyte and follower, after a time you'd be given level two of the mystery. And so on and so forth, leveling up in a D&D kind of fashion to the ultimate mysteries of that religion. And everything was secret and hidden cults still work the same way today. They don't tell you all of the information up front. They just say you've got to join and, and you'll get the mysteries over time. So this is how the ancient world looked at this word mystery. But what's amazing is Jesus, the early apostles in scripture, it's not how the New Testament looks at the word mystery. Jesus in Matthew 13:11. It's also in Mark 4:11 and Luke 8:10. So he answered and said unto them, "Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given." And Jesus is talking about parables. But he's telling his disciples, "It's given to you to know the mysteries of God." Jesus is laying out everything. This isn't a hidden mystery religion that you kind of have to progress through and level up in. It's not something we have to pay tons of money and get this cryptic oracle that you're at the mercy of. Jesus says the mystery of the kingdom is being given to you. It's being revealed to you. Other writers of the New Testament, Paul, Sosthenes, John, Timothy, and sylvanus all agree and say this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is God's mystery. So this idea that the Lord works in mysterious ways, Jesus doesn't think that. The gospel writers don't think that. Paul doesn't think that. Early church planners and leaders don't think that from the New Testament. They think that the whole mystery has been revealed Again, the Bible uses the the word mystery in one singular, emphatic way. God has revealed all the mysteries through his son, Jesus Christ. And the hidden mystery of him and who he was was told by the prophets in the Old Testament. It was revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ and is preached on Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. So God's people would know the mysteries of of his rich love towards them. And so this leads us to the question, and again, it, it leads us to the question of Does how does knowing the mystery of God help us? Because again, it brings us back to our saying, God works in mysterious ways. There's something there when we say that we don't know. But that's not what the New Testament says. That's not what Jesus says. <laughs> that's not what the writers of the New Testament say. They say, you know the mysteries. And again, what is that mystery? Jesus Christ died for your sins. And that truth is not something you need to pay for. It's not cryptic. It's not secret. It's not something you're initiated to and leveled up in. God has made it plain for the whole world to see. Christ has died you, By raising Christ from the dead, God has put an end to one of the most mysterious questions of all. Is there a God? So again, we come back to this question, how does knowing this mystery help us? There's still things that we can't explain about God. There's still tough love. Or good luck. There's still loss and pain. What is God doing? I think three things are going to help us. Number one, how does knowing the mystery help us? It helps us to know the gospel. Number two, it gives us a reason to worship. And number three, it gives us an ethic, an ethic for suffering. I'll say them again. How does knowing the mystery help us? It lets us know the gospel. It gives us a reason to worship, and it gives us an ethic for suffering. We're going to tackle all three of those points. Um, We're going to do that by looking at the book of Romans. And so this is not a study on Romans. This is... um, uh, we're going to look at Romans from a 30,000-foot view for a few minutes, and then we're just going to dive into two or three verses, two or three sections of verses that have this word mystery in them. So the uh, first thing you know about Romans is it was written from Corinth about 25 years into Paul's ministry. So Paul's been uh, a pastor and church planner for 25 years. He's pretty seasoned at this time. Um, Paul is actually writing Romans as a support letter um, to the church in Rome, a church that he's never visited, but that his disciples and the people that he's done ministry with have planted. And Romans does two things. It clarifies what the gospel is, and then it asks for support. Paul asks for money so that he can go and continue to share the gospel with the people who have not been reached. This is the goal of Romans. And we know that because Paul says at the end of Romans that his work is finished. I mean, He's now looking at saying, I've worked in the Roman Empire and my work of planning churches and glorifying Christ and raising up leaders and elders is finished. What is Paul setting his sights on? It's a great question for us today, right? We work 25, 30 years at jobs. At the end of that job, when we're done, what are we setting our sights on? And Paul said, there's people in this world that need to be reached. That's what I'm setting my sights on. His work is finished, and he's going to take the gospel. He wants to go to Spain, and it says he wants to go to the ends of the earth. So what's cool in the ancient world, the ends of the earth... We're defined by the pillars of Gibraltar. Basically, when you sail out of the Mediterranean into the Atlantic, the ancients believed that was the ends of the earth. And Paul is saying, I want to go to the unknown. I want to take the gospel to the unreached. I filled up the glory of God in the horizon of the Roman Empire, and now I want to go beyond that. Paul's work is finished. Um, That work hasn't come without a cost or a price. Um, Just to give you guys a quick backstory, a few months before Paul wrote the letter of Romans, he'd been in Ephesus for three years. Ephesus was one of the major cities in Turkey, and really churches and disciple groups were being spread out all over. Ephesus was the center of his ministry for three years, pastoring, shepherding, raising up leaders. Things were going great, but you see, there's one thing that's not going great. Paul's in Ephesus because three years ago, he got kicked out of Corinth. He was ran out of Corinth. The church in Corinth rejected him. They rejected him being a pastor, and they said, "Leave. We'd rather have super pastors trained in Greek rhetoric, able to entertain large audience. We want to go from house churches to theaters, and so we don't need you here, Paul. Leave." Something was going so great in Ephesus, but in the back of Paul's mind, there's also something that's gone so terribly wrong, and maybe maybe that's what you guys feel, maybe that's what we feel when God works in mysterious ways. Maybe in our lives things are going really great, except for one thing, one thing is really hard, one thing is going really poorly, and we're just wondering, God, what are you doing here? Because I don't see the answer, and I don't see the end, and I'm not sure. This is Paul's life. Something is going so great, but something has gone so wrong, and it hurts. I think we can relate. But what happens is Paul decides that enough is enough. And I've got a journey back to Corinth. Corinth. And so he sets out to write 2 Corinthians to them. And he has a return trip. He meets some of his friends. And then he receives a letter from Corinthians. After three years, they've said, Paul, we messed up. Paul, we kicked you out. Paul, we didn't like what you had to say. Paul, we thought our way was better, but we want you back. As a pastor and shepherd, we want you to lead us again. And Paul rejoices, and he comes and spends another three or four months in Corinth, and that's when he writes the letter to Romans. I think sometimes that's how we are with God. We kick God out of things in our life. And then when it goes so poorly, we welcome him back in. And it's so mysterious to us because God should be king already, and when we make him not king, we make ourselves king, things tend to go off the rails. And so Paul writes a letter to Romans, and in Romans 16, there's some cool things that happen, and that's where we're going to pick up with one of our first texts, but before we do, in this closing chapter of Romans, Paul writes in this church of Rome, and, and he mentions a lot of people, and what's Also, out of those people, is 14 out of those 27 people. More than half are women. It's amazing. They come from all socioeconomic backgrounds. They come from all races. They come from all classes. Paul's writing a church that's composed of every part of society. And so what he does in Romans is he addresses, again, the gospel. And the two big problems in the gospel are this. The problem of sin, which the Jewish people knew and understood because their national history, Paul addresses that. But the other problem that Paul addresses in Romans isn't sin, it's ignorance of sin. You see, the, the nations, pagans, didn't know about sin. They didn't know that there was one true God that you were supposed to worship, so Paul has to address both problems. He has to address sin and ignorance in Romans. And he does that with one big answer: Romans 8.28. You see, sin and ignorance separate us from God, but Romans 8.28 says the love of God, nothing can separate you from the love of God. This is Paul's plea. This is the mystery that Paul is unfolding to them, nothing will separate you from the love of God. And love is found in the righteousness of God in Christ who was revealed to the world. That's the mystery. And again, it's revealed to us by Scripture, the Old Testament prophets, by the life of Christ, and by preaching. And our response to this mystery being revealed to us is faith. So let's go ahead and turn to uh, Romans 16. As I shared earlier, um, how does knowing this mystery help us? This is the first way. It illuminates the gospel. This is what Paul says at the close. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Does knowing the mystery help us? It strengthens, encourages, and establishes us to have faith to respond to the obedience of the gospel, which is Christ is king, serve him only. Again, Paul closes Romans and gives this theological argument that the gospel is revealed truth, not human wisdom. We don't stumble upon the mystery. We don't discover it. We're not like people picking up the clues and saying, aha. We're not Sherlock Holmes chasing after Moriari here. But we are revealed it by God. It was something that needed to be discovered. The secret was kept through a long time, but God revealed it in Christ. And this is what we have to understand. Please... Understand this. Silence from God is not God depriving you. God is not saying that he does not love you when he is silent. And here's why. God has already spoken that he loves you. The mystery has already been revealed. The nations are being reached because Christ. Turned the power structure of Rome upside down and was executed for our sins. And only God will receive glory for this. It's the greatest mystery, and it's been revealed. The second reason, how does knowing the mystery help us? Knowing the mystery helps us and gives us a reason for worship. If we turn over to Romans 11, Romans eleven twenty five 25 through 32. This is a, a thicker chunk of scripture. My hope is to read it and draw truth. Feel free, if you have questions about it, to Q&A it on in. Starting in verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, Brothers. And sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gift and his call are irrevocable, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God now receive mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they may too now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. This last verse is important. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he might have mercy. Again, Paul starts with the word mystery, lovingly saying, I want to reveal this to you, brothers and sisters, so that you don't become conceited. God's saving purpose is on display, and you didn't do anything. It was revealed to you in Christ. The mystery of the gospel is that us, the nations, the Gentiles, are grafted in to Jesus Christ. This is what John 15 says. I'm the vine, you are the branches. We are grafted in. We are given salvation. God is saving Israel and us. Entrance to the kingdom of God is no longer a birthright. It's no longer a function of your skin color or your ethnicity or your national origin. It's no longer the amount of good works that you have done and put in your bank account. Paul's theology for us is that if you want to be saved then you'll believe in Christ because Christ is the king of a new Israel. And so what is our response to all of this? Is it not the next several verses. When we, you see, how does this mystery help us? When the gospel is illuminated in our minds, it gives us the right reason to worship God. Even when it feels like there's some unlucky breaks, even when there feels like some things in our lives that we were just at a loss for, God says the mystery draws you and this is what Paul writes. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him all things are made. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Worship is our response knowing the mystery. Um, I'll share a story with you guys. Um, so about uh, 11 years ago, my wife and I were a newlywed couple. We're raising support. Um, our desire is to do campus ministry in the city, to be church planners as well, planning Awakened Church. And um, we're raising support, and uh, we sat down with uh, a pretty prominent um, person in the city, someone that I had a connection with, um, uh, an insurance agent, and we shared our heart to reach the nations, um, we shared our heart to plant a church, and we asked if he'd consider supporting us. And, um, you know, his answer was just, hey, thanks so much, um, I really appreciate what you guys are doing, but if I'm gonna give my money, you know, for the sake of the gospel, he's like, I don't want to." I, do, I don't want it to pay for electric bills. And that was tough, because you're like, what does that mean? So that's what my wife and I asked. Like, what do you mean? She's like, well, I just, if I'm giving my money, I want you guys to be going to places that are unreached. And, and, I, and I'm still, like, confused. Like, well, I mean, so you, can't, you just have to use it for the gospel. So a missionary doesn't use it for electric bills, food, any, any needs. I, I'm just trying to process with him. I'm trying to process that if the apostle Paul was sitting there with him in that office, sharing his desire, as he does in Romans, for the gospel to, go to the world, and that insurance agent would be saying, you know, I really just don't want you to buy candles, Paul. So I'm not going to give you money. I don't want you to buy any wax candles. And he, I'm just struggling with this. It doesn't make sense. My wife and I are so close to reaching our support, and we just feel like, man, it's another setback. But this time, it's, it's one that's wounding. Like, I'm okay if you just don't want to give to local missions. That's fine. But to say we don't want to pay your light bill, it just hurt. And my wife and I are stuck. What do we do? And we said, we're going to worship God. So we went back home, we cried a little bit, we talked a little bit, but we worshiped God together. We prayed, we remembered the gospel was why we're doing this. You know, I think there's some people too, that, that was a story from my life, but maybe there's some of you out there right now, you have issues with God because you're confused about what he's doing in your life. Or maybe you just feel empty because... He should be telling you what to do, or or He should be making the situation better. Isn't that one of the questions that we struggle with? God works in mysterious ways. The question underneath that is, God, you should be making things better for me. That's really what the question is when we say that. That's what our emotions are. And God says, my ways are not mysterious. They're revealed in Jesus. They're revealed in salvation. Will you choose to worship me or not? Understanding God's mystery of salvation gives us a reason to worship. The last scripture, um, and again, how do we respond to knowing the mystery? Number three is it gives us an ethic for suffering, for being a living sacrifice. The very next verses, Paul shares this, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As I shared earlier, we didn't have time to study all of Romans. We took a 30,000-foot view. But in Romans 1, we saw the world come apart because they worshiped something else. They were ignorant of the true God. Then we read in, about the Jewish story, and their nation falls apart because they are sinful and continued to sin. Both pagans and God's chosen people rejected him, exchanged God's glory for lies and other religions. And God says he gave humanity over to whatever humanity wanted to worship. But in Romans 12, in light of God's mercy, in light of God's salvation, in light of the mystery that's been revealed to us, worship is now revealed as the expression of, of our humanity, It's a complete reversal of Romans 1 where we lost God's glory. Now in Romans 12, we can see God's glory and recognize His will. And His will is to love and to sacrificially endure non-conformity to the world so we can be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. Again, coming back to the question, how does the mystery help us? The mystery helps us to not be like the world. Worshiping and pursuing and doing whatever their passions tell them to do. Passions is a negative word in scripture. God's desire is for us to worship him, to die to our passions, to not be conformed to the world. And so um, what does that look like in our world? I'm going to share five things. Um, I just want you to sit and wrestle. As I do that, I've I've got a slide up there too that at this time you can fill in the blank as well. What does nonconformity to the world look like? Again, I think it gives us a reason and an ability to endure suffering because we know that the mystery has been revealed to us. Also, at this time, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to to text them in. What does nonconformity look like in our world? Um, Perhaps instead of campaigning on Facebook for a, a bigger border wall, we find ways to welcome immigrants into our communities, and we sponsor them, and we love them. Perhaps instead of extra investments in our 401K, we become more generous to our local church and to missions going on around the world. Perhaps instead of protesting in abortion clinics, we find a way to foster or adopt in our community or to develop and build into a community that helps those families who are doing that. Perhaps instead of increasing our stockpile of guns and ammo, which is cool, we find a way to transition released inmates into society with education, skills, and jobs. Perhaps instead of opting for another timeshare or vacation, we find a way to alleviate poverty and homelessness in our city. Be a nonconformity to the world. And before you take issues with these, again, I'm not trying to condemn us, and I know that not everyone can do all those things. I want to make you start to think that another world is possible, a world where the mystery is known that there's a king, and he is good, and he loves us. It's a world where government isn't the answer to all these problems. because you see, I think what's happened, especially in my generation, millennials are looking at the government, all those five problems, the government should solve those somehow. Let's vote to make sure that happens the right way. And Jesus has said, "Wait a second, I'm trying to solve this to the church. A world where the king reigns, not a government. I think if we're to take anything from this time, I want you to take away four words. You can put them up, Harlan. The mystery is mercy. You see, the mystery of the gospel is that God was merciful to us. So when we look at what worship is, we're praising him for his mercy. When we look at how we suffer and having an ethic for our suffering, we remember that Christ was merciful. We can be merciful to others as well. The mystery is mercy. Uh, I'm going to take time to answer a few questions if we got them. So if you have any questions, feel free to, to send them in. I think the first one, if the Bible was more specific and less mysterious, do you think there would be more believers? Um, I mean, that's a, an interesting question. Uh, I think as I'm processing it, I, I would say the Bible has been incredibly specific. The, the problem is that people don't want to know the mystery. They'd rather remain in sin or ignorance, the problem of Romans. If they do find out the mystery, if it's preached to them, as the Old Testament scriptures say, as the life of Christ reveals and that is preached by the apostles, the same thing that we're doing here, examining scripture, looking at the life of Christ and preaching the gospel, they'll have to make a choice. Do I worship or not? And I think the reason why there's not more believers is people don't want to do that. I think the Bible has been incredibly specific. There's so much evidence. There's so much truth. Romans 1 says that we are saturated with evidence in creation, evidence from God's word. We are saturated, but we're the ones who suppress it because we'd rather turn after idols. That's a great, great question. Um, <laughs> this, is good, this, this is a great question. If a person tells us God works in mysterious ways, in one of the common contexts that I share that it's used or that you've heard, would we be wise to lovingly correct them and explain the revealed mystery of the gospel? Yes, you would. Uh, go ahead and take all 30 minutes, you know, or, or just say, hey, my pastor talked about that. Let's listen to this podcast together. Um, no, I, I do think um, we would be, I think, right, because sometimes we just say it jokingly. But I think that's some of the problem, is we don't know what to say. like, so God works in mysterious ways. No, his, his ways have been revealed in Christ who loves us. And so I think the better option to do, because again, I think we say it just to kind of get out of conversation sometimes or just to kind of put that like spiritual stamp on it. So I think what we can sometimes do is just, hey, tell me what's going on. Why are things so mysterious? What are you struggling with? This lets us care for the person. And I think as we do that, the same thing will happen. You'll have a chance to illuminate the gospel. You'll have a chance to worship Christ with him. And then whatever suffering they're going through, they'll be able to get through it together with community, looking to the gospel. Um, If there's more questions, I'm going to go ahead and tackle them um, via email. So feel free if you're thinking about something or have a question, um, send it in. We'll still tackle it. Um, And uh, let me me go ahead and pray for us. Uh, Father, I I thank you that... um, The mystery has been revealed to us in Christ. And that that mystery is mercy. You have shown us mercy. You have shown the whole world mercy. God, would we look at our lives and worship you for that? Would we look at our lives and make room and space to study the gospel? And lastly, when we look at our lives, and whatever we're going through, whatever suffering's going on, we realize that we have a hope and an ethic for that suffering, and that is Christ has been merciful to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.